0: Welcome to another episode of Franz Ward's podcast series, Shoveling Smoke. I'm Mike Smith, your host for today's podcast. As you know, earlier this year, we presented several podcasts regarding the impact of COVID-19, quarantines, and labor and material shortages on various aspects of our daily lives. Another area that has been impacted is the residential real estate market. Buying or selling a home has always been fraught with peril for the unwary, but even more so now. Here with me to discuss some perspectives on these potential pitfalls and how to avoid them is my partner, Mark Radio. Mark is a member of Frostward's real estate, litigation, and construction practice groups, and spearheads the firm's representation of residential real estate buyers, sellers, and brokers. Mark is a continuing education course provider for the Ohio Division of Real Estate and Professional Licensing, and regularly presents courses on legal, ethics, and fair housing issues. Since 2002, Mark has been the treasurer for Delta Tau Delta Cleveland Corporation, which owns, operates, and maintains a hundred plus year old mansion house at Case Western Reserve University for undergraduate student housing. In nearly 20 years, Mark has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and is constantly teaching his undergraduates about the responsibilities of home ownership and maintenance. In his spare time, Mark enjoys working out, running, biking, washing cars, and performing landscaping including at his old house he sold four years ago. Not many home buyers get that perk. Hey, Mark, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: Uh, before we get going, can you tell me a little bit about this strange uh, deal you have where you're still doing landscaping on a house you sold four years ago?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I sold a house in the city with a fairly small yard. It basically has a tree lawn in the front and a tree lawn on the side, in a 10-foot yard in the back. And, and I was doing yard work for my neighbor when I lived there, an elderly lady. So when I sold the house, I moved to a condo and was didn't need the yard tools. So I made a deal with the new owner to say, uh, I'll leave all the yard tools if when you mow the lawn, you'll do both your tree lawn and her tree lawn. And he's not really a yard guy. And he basically told me, Well, I I don't mind if you want to borrow the tools and use them anytime you want. So pretty much I've been mowing the lawn at my old house for the last four years.
0: Very nice. Well, there's plenty of work to do at my house as well, Mark. So uh, (laughs) I'll have to figure out what to trade you.
1: I'll add you to the Saturday list. All right.
0: Well, let's get going here. When we start, I always like to start with a little background. So let's talk about the basics for residential real estate in Ohio. Can you just give us a quick outline?
1: Sure. So... In Ohio, the the main rule for buyers to know is that buying residential real estate is buyer beware. Um, And, uh, you know, without getting into uh, what lawyers typically call the caveat emptor, the legalese, buyer beware basically means that it's the buyer's duty to inspect a house uh, before they purchase it. And you also have sellers of residential real estate have a duty to disclose what they know about the house regarding its physical condition. And there's actually a form in Ohio that was implemented in 1993 called the residential property disclosure form. And that's a form on which the sellers are supposed to disclose all the facts they know regarding the physical condition of the property, the roof, the basement, the structural issues, uh, you know, assessments, things of that nature.
0: And I assume you see a lot of litigation goes on right there, right at the beginning, about what the seller should or shouldn't have known or should have shouldn't have disclosed. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's you know obviously the the most common claims uh, that we see are disgruntled buyers who buy a house and there's an allegation that the seller didn't disclose something that they knew regarding the leaky basement or the leaky roof or structural issues or. Um, you know, surface water issues, things of that nature, mold, you know, things like that.
0: So we got buyer beware. We have this residential property disclosure form. What are some of the other uh, basic components that go into a a residential deal?
1: Well, so most buyers and sellers are, are represented by real estate brokers and salespeople when they're buying and selling. So the brokerages typically provide the form contracts that are used in most transactions. Uh, And so if you're buying existing housing or selling existing housing, typically your broker is going to have the purchase contract as a form for you to complete. If you're buying new construction, most builders have their own form of contract. And where the real estate contracts, uh, the real estate broker contracts, because they're designed for use by both buyers and sellers, they tend to be a little more balanced. Builder contracts tend to be very one-sided. Each builder has a different version, and uh, there definitely can be some very um, onerous and one-sided provisions in those. So if if you're building a house brand new, I highly recommend that you have somebody review the contract before you sign it, because, uh, again, you you see all ranges. There's some contracts that are pretty good and some that are pretty terrible.
0: So obviously, when you own contracts, the devil's always in the details. What do you typically see that's in the con- these kinds of contracts. And what do you typically see that's not in there that maybe should be or you should be aware that's not in there?
1: So when you're going to sell your house, you'll typically sign what's called a listing agreement with the real estate broker. And it's usually it's called an exclusive right to sell agreement. And that's where the owner's granting the brokerage the exclusive right to market and sell their property or market their property for sale. So uh, that's the the first agreement that you'll be signing when you're selling a house. Then if you're buying a house, uh, not too frequently used, but there are written buyer agency agreements where you will sign up with an agent and they will say, I'll be your exclusive agent for attempting to locate a property. And then of course, as we discussed, there's the purchase contracts. And the written listing agreement, when you go to sell your house, that's very common. Uh, it's typically exclusive. It has to have certain things in it so that you know what you're doing. Uh, namely, it has to have you know, the address of the property, the commission that you're going to be offering to the broker, and the expiration date of that agreement. Uh, that's required by Ohio law. The buyer agency agreements are a little less common. and Uh, Sometimes they'll provide that um, your agents, your exclusive agent, it it will also set forth whether you're going to owe them any compensation for buying the house or whether they will be solely compensated from whatever the seller's agent is offering as a a cooperating compensation. And most of the times when you're using the, the broker contracts, As I said, they're fairly balanced. Some of them in some markets in Ohio are actually co-written with the local bar association. So, for example, Columbus has an area form that was reviewed and approved by both the Association of Realtors and the Columbus Bar Association. Uh, so it's kind of uh, the best of both worlds in the sense that it's got the practical, what you need from the residential real estate side, and it's got some legal protections. And again, it's it's a pretty fair and balanced approach to the contract.
0: Well, one thing I can tell you from experience that's always given me a little bit of heartburn is uh, the dates that are in all these contracts. So can you just comment on how typically uh, or how strictly these dates are enforced?
1: Sure, so Ohio is a little different than even our sister states. So for example, in in Western Pennsylvania, it is typical uh, for those contracts to have a time is of the essence provision. And what that means is, if something's supposed to happen by September 2nd, it needs to happen by September 2nd. And if you don't perform it until September 3rd, you're in breach. That is when time is of the essence. That is typical in Ohio in commercial transactions, But in residential transactions, it's horseshoes and hand grenades and close is close enough. And a lot of buyers and sellers don't realize that uh, when they're they're entering into these contracts. So if you have a date that really means something to you, you need uh, to have it be a time is of the essence provision. You need to use those magic words that time is of the essence. So, for example, if you're going to buy a house and you have a rate lock, and your rate lock expires on October 1st, and therefore you need to, the deal to close by October 1st. Then you should tell your agent that you want October 1st to be time is of the essence, uh, because otherwise you will lose your mortgage rate and incur additional costs. Uh, so that's something that um, you know you can, you know, either you or your agent can easily add into a contract, even if it's not as to all dates. As to certain specific dates, you can specify that time is of the essence. So, for example, as to the closing times of the essence, but if there's seven days for the inspection, that doesn't have to be time is of the essence, because whether you do the inspection within seven days or eight days probably isn't going to affect the transaction.
0: Another component that always made me hold my breath in buying a house relates to property inspections, and then also related to that, home warranties. Can you give us some thoughts about those documents and how they interact with the with the transaction?
1: So all the form purchase contracts, in, in certainly in Northeast Ohio and all the ones I've seen anywhere in Ohio, offer the buyers the right to have the property inspected before they purchase it. And uh, most of them have the option for either the buyer or the seller to procure a home warranty. Uh, I recommend that buyers uh, do both. Uh, and there's a variety of inspections besides a general inspection. If you've got septic or well water, if you wanna test for radon or mold or you know, wood destroying insects, those are all inspections that are typically uh, inspections that a buyer can request. And we certainly recommend that the buyer have uh, the property inspected before purchase. And then the option of the limited home warranties, home warranties aren't insurance. They're limited home warranties. So just like they sound, they will cover certain things. If they're working and functional on the date of the sale and then break typically within the first year, it'll be covered by the limited home warranty. So for example, if your furnace is working uh, on the date of sale and then breaks within the first year, there will typically be coverage for it. Now, if it's a a 50-year-old furnace, and uh, it breaks in that first year. Some home warranties will, will only offer prorated or limited coverage because they'll say, look, you bought a house with a functional but 50-year-old furnace. We're only going to provide uh, very little coverage versus something that it's a five-year-old furnace. There may be greater coverage for something like that.
0: Okay, so we have the basics, uh, the, the contracts, and the players, and those types of things. So now let's talk about the j- dangers or the perils associated with uh, walk, going through one of these transactions. So, uh, can you give us some ideas of some of those uh, things that we should really should be looking out for as we as we go through the process?
1: So the first mistake uh, that I see buyers and sellers making is that they believe their real estate agents and brokers are the jack of all trades or the one-stop shop and that they can do everything. And in fact, Ohio law prohibits real estate agents from doing anything beyond real estate. So for example, they're not allowed to practice law or do anything that did the the division of real estate considers the practice of law, so agents are allowed to provide form contracts. They're allowed to fill in blanks on contracts, but they are not allowed to draft contractual provisions. Uh, so it's anything you know too complicated. You don't want your real estate agent drafting it. You'll want your lawyer drafting it or another professional. And it's very similar with whether it's home inspections. Uh, if you need a structural engineer, if you need an accountant to look at some financial numbers, you want the person with that expertise looking at that stuff. Don't assume just because your realtor buys and sells real estate all the time that they're the expert on everything. And that's a common mistake that we see from buyers and sellers is that they assume the real estate agents and brokerages uh, can and know how to do more than they actually do.
0: So another Peril, I think that uh, we all talk about from time to time is, is what those home inspections show and how you go about doing one of those. Can you talk about some of the dangers or associated with or the risks of a home inspection?
1: So in Ohio, uh, home inspectors actually just became a licensed profession on July 1st of 2021. Uh, and that was, impl- was supposed to have been implemented uh, shortly before the pandemic. And obviously got delayed because of the pandemic, because the rulemaking process got delayed. But the Division of Real Estate now oversees licensed home inspectors uh, and they have to be licensed. But the problems that we see are it's difficult for a home inspector on what's typically a three or four hour home inspection to discover what somebody who may have owned the house for 20 or 30 years would know. And also, it's difficult for a home inspector when he's doing a home inspection in the middle of a dry July to tell you what the basement's going to look like in the middle of a wet, you know, spring. Uh, and on top of that, the home inspectors themselves, most often, they're doing an inspection for somewhere in the you know three to four to five hundred dollar range. So. They all are members of either uh, or most of them are members of the American Society of Home Inspectors, also known as ASHI. There's an International Society of Home Inspectors. And those trade organizations, I think, have have uh, trained the inspectors so that almost every inspection contract I've seen in the last 10 years has a limit of liability clause where if the inspector misses something, their liability is limited to the cost you paid them for the inspection. So if you paid them five hundred bucks and they missed the leaky basement, they'll give you back your five hundred bucks. But they're not going to pay the five thousand it takes to fix the leaky basement. And, you know, so that's one of the one of the biggest problems is that while we recommend home inspections, what they can discover on a three or four hour inspection is limited. And if they get it wrong, Uh, almost all of them have a limit of liability. And in fact, this is one of those rare areas where the worse the home inspection contract, sometimes the better it is for the buyer if there becomes a problem because if the contract's bad enough, so if it not only has a limit of liability clause for for the $500, but also says you have to bring any claim within 60 days and you have to go to arbitration and the arbitration is gonna cost you 800 to file it. Uh, courts will generally hold those contracts totally unenforceable because, in order to pursue your $500 remedy, you'd have to file an $800 arbitration, uh, and so th- there are instances where you know some of the home inspectors, the more aggressive they are with their contracts, uh, the worse it is for them, and the better it is for a potential buyer.
0: So the home inspection only provides so much protection, which means you're you're dealing with. The dangers associated in directly dealing with the seller as well. What what risks do the buyers face there? Well,
1: the problem that I tend to see, and I've uh, over twenty years, is that a lot of sellers are reluctant to disclose everything that they know on the property disclosure form. Some of them may fear uh, what effect that'll have on the price, or that the property won't sell or they may have rationalized what the issue is. You know, For example, if they've never seen actual water in their basement, but they've seen a little efflorescence on the wall, they'll look at that and they won't disclose anything because they'll say, well, I've never actually had water intrusion, I've only had efflorescence, or I've, I think there might be water coming in, but I've never seen it, so I'm not going to disclose anything on it. And the difficulty with that is that a seller if they don't disclose what they should on a property disclosure form, obviously it makes it a lot more likely that they get sued, but for a buyer it's difficult uh, because in Ohio you have, as we said, it's buyer beware, you have to show that the seller had actual knowledge of the problem. And you have to remember that everything has a useful life and will wear out eventually. So a roof doesn't last forever. Basement drain tile doesn't last forever. Plumbing doesn't last. Fixtures don't last forever. But just because something is is leaking now and you hire a contractor who says, oh yeah, this basement leak must have been happening over the last five or 10 years. That doesn't prove that the seller knew it was leaking. So while the problem may have happened gradually, gradually, that's not the proof that a buyer has to have. The buyer actually needs somebody, an, either a neighbor or maybe if, uh, if the seller called the same plumber pre- before selling the house and they said, oh, yeah, you have a problem with a clogged drain and the seller didn't disclose it, then you have actual knowledge that you can prove that the seller actually knew about a problem that they didn't disclose on the property disclosure form.
0: So let's flip to the other side and talk about uh, risk the seller has. What do you see there in dealing with buyers?
1: Well, so the risks uh, with buyers is that they're often reluctant to disclose if they've got adverse financial or credit issues that might impact their ability to get a loan on a property. And so if you're selling property, these terms get used interchangeably a lot, but whether there's a pre-approval or a pre-qualification, there is a difference between those. So a pre-qualification is typically uh, less stringent. Uh, It involves just kind of a general look at the buyer by their lender saying, uh, you know, do do we think that we can lend to these people in order to buy a house? A pre-approval will be much more specific and it will actually set forth an amount of loan for which the uh, buyer has been pre-approved. So if you've got a buyer looking to buy your $250,000 house, you want to see a pre-approval letter from their lender saying that they've been approved for a loan up to $250,000. So that'll give you as a seller much more confidence in that buyer's ability to perform the transaction ultimately. Because if you if you sign a contract with a buyer and they can't get the loan, you're going to lose market time. You're going to have the uncertainty. And where time is not of the essence in Ohio on most financing and, and closing dates, it adds a lot of uncertainty into the transaction.
0: And I assume if the deal blows up, that both sides are facing risk at that point.
1: Yeah, and, and and litigation is is the worst case scenario, obviously, because uh, it's very expensive, and it's hard for a buyer. You know, if even if they buy a house and the seller didn't disclose termites, right? You might have ten grand worth of carpentry that needs done, but it'll cost you more than ten grand to hire a lawyer uh, to handle the claim. Uh, and the same thing if you're selling a house, uh, if the buyer uh, breaches and they can't buy it. Uh, you know, just because it sells for less to the next buyer doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you have damages. So if a, if a seller just called up a lawyer who doesn't typically do real estate, a lawyer would say, well, your typical measure of damages for breach of contract is put you in the same position you would have been in if the buyer had performed. That's what lawyers learn in law school. Well, that's not the measure of damages in, for real estate in Ohio. Measure of damages is the difference between the buyer's contracted price and the fair market value at that time. So if you have a buyer who offers to buy your $250,000 house for $250,000 and they breach, you don't have any damages because you still own the property that you can resell for $250,000. Now, if you had that buyer under contract at $260,000, now you've got damages because they were paying you above fair market value. And that difference, that $10,000 is something that you as a seller would be able to pursue against that buyer.
0: So, again, with all things in today's society, we have to deal with issues relating to COVID. So, how do you see COVID 19 impacting buying and selling residential real estate?
1: Well, so what we've seen is that the quarantine that came along with COVID has increased the demand from buyers and reduced the supply from sellers. Sellers were um, less willing to put their homes up for sale. Uh, they were less willing to have their homes open, you know, for buyers, whether at an open house or to have have potential buyers coming through the property in order to purchase it. And uh, buyers, obviously, living, working, educating from home, doing everything from home uh, or their apartment, um, there was a lot more buyers looking for more space and and maybe more for designated space as opposed to just the great room and the open areas. And so you've got a, a, a really a seller's market right now where there's not a lot of supply and there's a whole lot of demand and that puts pressure uh, on the buyers. And so you know we're seeing a lot of buyers that are waiving home inspections and just buying the house as is with no home inspection. And then of course, even on the new home construction side, uh, there's been labor and material shortages there. Uh, there's been increased demand uh, for more buyers and and frankly, the building just hasn't kept up. So you know if you're trying to buy in this market, it's tough. And even if you're selling in this market, it's it's great because you'll 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 probably sell your house quickly and get your, get above or at your asking price. But then the problem is where do you go next? Because now you've sold the house, you need to buy one and you have to figure out where you're going to go.
0: It's a vicious cycle, Mark. Having been a homeowner three times over now. Right. Well, I appreciate you being here today. One of the things we do at the end of our podcast is we ask our guests to, um, to offer some takeaways uh, for our listeners uh, to sort of hone in on as they walk away from the, uh, the podcast. So with that in mind, can you share with our listeners some takeaways you see for home buyers and home sellers?
1: Sure. So for home buyers, I think uh, the three takeaways I would recommend are, number one, to have a professional home inspection. Number two, to obtain the limited home warranty, whether the seller pays for it or you pay for it. And number three is to remember when you're buying a house that you need to have funds available to make repairs uh, for items that you don't necessarily know how long they're going to last. So don't spend your last nickel buying the house and not have any money left to buy the, to fix the furnace. For sellers, the three takeaways would be that they should disclose all defects of which they have actual knowledge on the residential property disclosure form. It's their get out of jail free card. It makes it a lot less likely that they get sued. Secondly, I, if I'm a seller, I would demand a pre-approval letter along with any purchase offer so that you know that your buyer actually can buy the house. And uh, the third thing as a seller would be uh, to plan on what happens if your new house or wherever you're going to next gets delayed before the time you have to give up your old house, because you don't want to have to move twice or move into a hotel if you can help it.
0: Those are all great thoughts, Mark. Really appreciate it. So to kind of sum up uh, Mark's takeaways, I would sum it up as follows. Protect yourself. Be open on disclosures and plan very carefully as you proceed through this process. Mark, thanks again for being here. We appreciate your time. And that wraps up another episode of Shoveling Smoke. Thanks for checking in with us, and we hope you listen in next time. Shoveling Smoke is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer and audio engineer is Sean Ruhl-Hoffman. Thanks for listening.